1 Corinthians chapter 3, I've entitled tonight's message, Easy as 1, 2, 3, and ABC. Uh, Charlene was singing uh, the uh, Jackson 5 song and uh, prior to service tonight, and I really appreciated that. It took me down memory lane, and so uh, I said, I think the people would really like it if you sang that song, Charlene. She said, nah, I think I'll take a pass. So, Lord, over the next few minutes, we just thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. And may it fall on fertile soil in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 11, it reads, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, and you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. I put in our notes tonight, the most important thing for us to know is our part and God's part. Let's just dissect that for a minute, our part and God's part. As we read through this portion of Scripture, I want you to identify how many times the Apostle Paul mentioned our part, but then he pointed us to our partner in life, our senior partner, the one that we're yoked up with, the one that we're learning from, and that is God himself. So therefore, we're not asked to work independently of God, but we're in a cooperative effort. We're yoked up with Jesus. We're learning his ways, and he's leading us, and we're yielding and following him. And in the process of doing this, we understand our role, our part, our responsibility in this relationship And we also are so thankful that he has a part to play. And it causes us to do what we do with expectation, with joy, with a sense uh, of of wonder. I wonder what God's going to do as I put my hand to something. He said he's going to bless it. As I I plant a seed, he said he's going to bring a harvest. As I water that seed, he said he's going to bring the increase. We need to have an expectation As believers, that as we're working, as we're laboring, that our labor is not in vain, our work is not in vain, because someone is working with us and someone is doing uh, uh, the uh, work with what we're doing. Now, I want to say that when the Apostle Paul uses the language that, that, you know, those that that water and, and those that plant seed are nothing, he's not saying they're insignificant. That is a comparative statement Compared to God, we, we, the workers with him, are not capable of producing fruit. We're incapable of producing fruit. And that's where John 15 comes in to our life as believers, where Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But when we are working together and we are connected through Christ, who is our union with God, we produce much fruit. The expectation we should have as believers is what we do matters. What we do matters. It does matter. It does make a difference. Even though we don't see results 
instantaneously, we cannot grow weary in doing good because we have one who is working with us and we are working with him and he will be faithful. If we'll do our part, we have no concerns about him doing his part. If we'll take our place, he will take his place. So why is it that there isn't more expectation and more uh, of a of a of a, a spirit of of gratitude that we're experiencing in the world today? Because sometimes we feel like God has left us to do it all on our own, and we have to figure it out. And I know none of us would admit that that's how we feel sometimes, but sometimes that's how we conduct ourselves, myself included. So wise builders know the importance of a good foundation. Every good builder knows that. And as we look at the elementary principles of Christ, let's be mindful of the simplicity that's in Christ. Honestly, it really is easy as 1, 2, 3, and ABC. I put in your note 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 4, which is a terrific passage of Scripture to look up. And I'll just leave uh, uh, that up to you guys. But one of the concerns that was communicated by the apostle to the church was that people would get away from the simplicity that's in Christ and somehow make their relationship with him more complicated than it needs to be. So here are the elementary principles or the foundational truths of Christ. They're mentioned in Hebrews chapter 6. And so I want to invite you to go back there with me. Because over the next several weeks, we're going to be taking a look at these individually. Now, tonight, we're just going to look at the first because the first is first. And first things matter. So we want to understand the first principle of Christ. And then we may be able to cover several other in a, in a session. But we'll just see how that unfolds in the days to come. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptism, of laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits or allows. Now, once... Again, as a reminder, is that it is the will of God that we move on from the principles that are elementary in Christ and we move on to maturity. But we can only move on if we understand what they are first and foremost. And then once we understand them, we have a firm foundation and understand many of the other principles and truths that are taught in Scripture about the way of Christ and the will of Christ for each and every one of our lives. So let's tackle the first. God has always called his people to repentance. Is that a truth in scripture? Old Testament through New Testament. Was that a message that was misunderstood in the Old Testament? When Isaiah or Jeremiah or any of the prophets would call the people back to God and call them to repentance... Was that an easy message for the messenger to give? Was an easy message for those that he was delivering it to to hear? The answer is no. But it is a message of God's love, his benevolence, his mercy, his kindness. I want to remind you that he gives us time and opportunity to change our mind. 
He's the one that helps us to change our mind. In any conversation that a parent has with a child, the first time that we call them to change their mind is because we're concerned about their current mindset. We're, current, we're, we're concerned about where it could lead them, what it could produce, and why it would be problematic. And so we're asking them as our children to consider a different path, a different way of thinking, and therefore they would have a different set of consequences. So as a parent appealing to a child to change their mind, is that because you are mad at your child or because you're concerned and you love your child? We love them. We're concerned. We see things that they potentially don't see. We've experienced things they haven't experienced or we don't want them to experience. So we're asking them to consider their ways. We're asking them to to ponder a different path, a different course of behavior, a change. Let's give God as much credit as we would give ourselves as parents, okay? Let's believe that he has our best interest in mind. Let's hear what he has to say with an open and receptive heart. Let's trust that he sees farther down the road than what we see. Let's know that he sees the end, not just the beginning. He sees where it would take us. Let's see that he's trying to put roadblocks and detours back to himself because he cares so much about us. Let's consider the message of repentance, one of the best and greatest and most loving messages in Scripture. Let's not look at God as negative, condescending, cruel Father, but as a compassionate, caring, merciful Heavenly Father, the one that Jesus came to introduce to us. The reason I believe that we all struggle with the message of repentance is because Admission is the first step to change. It's the first step to any transformation. And it's probably the most challenging. But once we take that step, we're on a different path and we'll experience the blessing of the Lord. So repentance from dead works. It's the first step to properly approaching him. In fact, it's so foundational to one's relationship with God that if a person has never repented, they cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It's impossible. Repent means to change one's mind, to turn and go a different direction. It's to change one's mind about something specific. Of course, when a person has a change of mind about something, the result is a change of behavior as well. That's when we know that it's not just remorse, it's not sorrow that we got caught, but it's repentance, it's actually a change. And the change is evident. I want to read out of Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, if you would turn there with me. And if you don't have your Bible, you can look up on the screen. But I encourage you to bring your Bible to church. It's one of the greatest things that you could do is follow along in the Scripture. Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 3 through 14. Talking about John the Baptist. And he went into all the regions around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. Remission means a complete removal. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every 
mountain and hill brought low, the crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. What road is that? That's the road of repentance that leads to salvation. Gets rid of all the hills, all the valleys, all the rough spots, and it gives us access and it gives us the ability to come to the Lord. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized of him, brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Or therefore, because of this, bear fruits worthy of repentance, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people ask him, saying, what shall we do then? He answered, he said unto them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors, then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more then what is appointed for you? Likewise, the soldiers ask him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. This is a tremendous portion of Scripture that not only teaches baptism and the road to the Lord and what happens when someone repents and comes into faith, But the questions that each and every one of these people groups is asking John is evidence that they were convicted. They were convinced. They were convinced through the preaching of John that the path that they were on was not the path that God wanted them on. And they were now choosing to get on a different path. And the road to that path was through repentance. And that was the message of John. And he said, you know, every obstacle, and he used Isaiah's prophecy, every obstacle that's in between you and God will be completely removed when you repent. And you will be able to have access into all the blessings of God. And they said, what must we do? Not only did they repent, he said, don't do the things you used to do. Stop it. Stop doing the things that you used to do. And I believe since they asked the question, they desired to hear the answer. And they received the blessing of repentance. The blessing of repentance is this. Times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. So I want to read the last statement then. Pray and we'll take a few questions. Repentance is associated with a change of mind about sin through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.